Battle Line podcast. Uh, what episode is this actually? Uh, episode 160. Blows my mind. This is November, and we are celebrating, as crazy as it is, three years of doing this podcast that has truly flown by. So to those of you who have been here since the beginning, or those of you new on board, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we're continuing our discussion this episode with Eric Parker because last episode there was just so much there. Before we brought uh, Eric on, Chris didn't even really mention the Nicer Square stuff. And then when Eric got into all that with Blackwater, I had plenty of questions and I feel like we just, uh, you know, we just scratched the surface. So I wanted to ask Eric some more about all of that. Uh, before we get into anything, you guys might notice we have really stepped up the video game uh video game i feel like i'm talking about video games the we've stepped up the video content um we prior had d from the team house doing production we've since brought on zach uh from squatch media at squatch media and he is doing an awesome job in terms of just what you see during the reads and um yeah and in terms of the social media content so uh yeah he's awesome at squatch media zach thanks so much for uh, coming on board. I'm I'm really excited. And, and this is just the beginning. The video content is going to get even better. Uh, I, I really, the one thing I want to change is we're using Zoom. I would like to get back to doing high resolution video, which we were previously doing with Squadcast. However, we ran into some problems with Squadcast. You guys might remember we had on John Keyes from Guns Out TV and his video didn't capture. So stuff like that, we just can't have happen. So uh, Zach and I are going to go through some different options, maybe um, StreamYard or some other things, because Zoom is great. It's reliable. Um, haven't had any problems with like the audio sync and that type of thing, but it, it does shoot in a lower resolution format. And everything else that you'll see on the video, if you're watching on YouTube and not listening, is very high resolution. So I'd like to match that. Uh, also, in terms of the video content, Jeremy Mitchell, who works with Battleline Tactical, is still running this contest for YouTube subscribers. All you have to do is subscribe, and then we have great prizes from people like Fort Scott Munitions, from uh, sponsors like Thadia, all different types of cool stuff. Um, he's really in charge of all that, so I don't know what's going on this particular week. Last I checked, it's going to be some gear from Thadia, but you don't even have to like enter an email address. You don't have to uh, buy a uh, raffle ticket or anything like that. It's as simple as signing up on YouTube and subscribing, and Jeremy has been keeping track with who's subscribing on YouTube and just giving the prize out to a random new subscriber. So just if you're not already subscribed, Hit the subscribe button right now on YouTube and also leave us a comment. All that helps new viewers to see what's going on. Like the video. Um, if you have any questions for us, just write it in there. Any uh, comments, any of that stuff. And leave us, of course, a review on Apple Podcasts. All of that stuff helps out um, in terms of getting the show out there. So, uh, yeah, I got to tell you before we get into the interview with Eric Parker that Ned has truly been a lifesaver for me. I have to tell you, uh, I can't be the only one who experiences this. I'm sure there's other people in the audience with the weather getting cooler. It is like clockwork for me. I function great in the warm weather and it's getting a little bit colder here in Connecticut. And every year as it gets colder, I have just a problem spot in my neck and and I know it's not something I need to get surgery on. It's just something I I do my stretching. I do my yoga and that type of thing to help it out. But my body just does not respond well to cold weather. So um, I'm aware of it. 
And it's important to have just a great remedy. And that's why Ned has been perfect for me. I, I really, with this podcast, get to work with my favorite supplement companies between Bubs Naturals and Ned. And the newest products with Ned have really been great for me in terms of the relief bomb. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just been so much easier now functioning uh, with these issues that I have with my neck. And um, between that, yoga and then CBD at night. Man, I never have problems sleeping. I never wake up in pain or anything like that. So it has truly helped me out. If you're having any issues like that, um, for some people, it's lower back and some people have injuries uh, from other prior things, their legs, knees, CBD is going to do wonders for you. And then that relief bomb, it's really going to be helpful, I could promise you. So make that a part of your daily ritual. These products are science-backed nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Ned CBD is cold extracted from the world's purest USDA certified organic hemp in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. I am not someone who's new to supplementation. I've tried out everything. And uh, yeah, Ned has really been what's worked with me in terms of sleep, in terms of getting over these injuries or these problem spots like my neck. Um, yeah, the relief bomb and CBD, and now their newest brain blend is great for alertness. As someone who was diagnosed with ADD, uh, I don't want to be on any medication for that. Haven't been on medication for that in decades, and I've replaced it with Ned's brain blend. So check them out. Um, any of those products and full transparency, Ned shares third party lab reports, who farms their products and their extraction process all right there on their site. Ned's CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews. So become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with the code BATTLELINE. Go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE or enter the code BATTLELINE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash BATTLELINE to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. So yeah, we're going to be continuing this discussion with Eric Parker from last week. Chris is out, but the next show that Chris is going to be back, we're going to be doing a Q&A, which we haven't done in a while. So if you have any questions, nothing is really off limits. We'll answer anything um, for the most part. I'm sure you can think of something that we won't answer or any comments. If any episode really resonated with you, anything you've wanted to share with the show, uh, we'll do that the next episode that Chris is on with me. So Battleline Podcast at gmail.com we have not done a q a episode in i don't know it may be a year or something it's been a long time there's been a high demand for it so we're bringing it back um for next month so uh or this month i should say in the in next coming shows so battle line podcast at gmail.com send your questions send your comments and with that let's get right to eric parker here on battle line podcast From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. 
motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. <laughs> you are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on Battle Line Podcast, and I really had a great time talking with eric parker last episode so i figured we'd continue this discussion chris was out and i was figuring out what we would do the following week and uh to be honest eric like when we booked last week chris gave me some background on you i read your background but i didn't know anything about your um you know your involvement not not directly but with the Nieser square incident while you were at blackwater so i was like man this is fascinating and and i think we only scratched the surface I'll tell you this. It's like um, a lot of my friends have said, it seems like I'm a ship magnet. So most all major events that uh, happened uh, seem to always happen around me. So I don't know if I'm uh, really lucky or really unlucky. Yeah. And, and we'll get into some of that because there's like more recent stuff that happens and, and we can get into uh, into the more recent events. I have a, a lot of things written down that I want to talk about. Um, so I feel like we we really covered what actually happened that night, the Nieser Square incident, um, the actual events that occurred. But I, I would like to get into and we'll get into other stuff with you, of course, but I'd like to get into like what followed. So um, for those who don't know, there were there were, and, and I should give background, by the way, for people who are just tuning in. So Eric is uh, Army Special Operations vet with a deployment to Mogadishu, Somalia, and then continued continued with Blackwater in Afghanistan. Check out the last episode if you haven't already, because this is really a continuation. But so the, the incident happened November 16th, 2007. And then Trump pardoned the following guys. It was Dustin Hurd, Evan Liberty, Nicholas Slatton, and Paul Slow. Uh, and that was in late 2020, right before leaving office, uh, around the same time, or maybe even the same day that he pardoned our friend Gary Brugman. Um, so I'm just wondering from your perspective, you went into what went down, why it went down the way that it did. Uh, while these guys were in prison, did you feel that they should have been pardoned? Do you think they were treated unfairly? Uh, they should have absolutely been pardoned. Should have, uh, they should have gone to prison in the first place. Um, you know, it's uh, you mentioned the names. I'll, I'll give a correction. It's Paul Slough. Okay, and uh, his wife in particular paid a played a very big role in getting information out there, um, even to the point where they met up with a uh, a very left leaning investigative journalist um, who started looking into it and said, "Man, this this isn't right." And uh, I'd get on her Facebook page; she'd be on Fox News, and all her friends are slamming her for being on Fox News and everything. She's like, "She's like, guys, this is what we do to the news." They're like, "Look into it." You know, this has been screwed up from the beginning. I mean, if you even look at the WikiLeaks email from uh, Hillary Clinton and stuff saying, what are we going to do about these Blackwater guys? You know, we've got to get them indicted again. And even the, uh, the the trial, you know, when they're flying 120 Iraqis into the U.S. to testify. I mean, who does that shit? Um, it's I mean, they were running ads uh, like Morgan and Morgan ads in Iraq. You know, if you were affected by this, you know, you may be entitled to compensation. So anybody that had anybody injured or anything, no matter where they were at in Iraq, were calling this number and claiming they were victims and they were there that day. 
Um, then it even came out, uh, some of the police officers that were investigating uh, had ties to uh, uh, militia groups like uh, Muntada, uh, uh, let's see, no, uh, uh, Jay Shalmati. Um, so there's uh, lots of things that came out in it. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to talk with those guys, you know, I'm very close with them. I'm sure they would love to get on the show and tell their side of the story as well. Yeah, I, I feel like the general population consensus of Blackwater, there, there's so much negativity just surrounding Blackwater that I think before people even read into what actually went down, there's just this this attitude that people have that these guys are out of control and they're not there to do the job the same way the military is and they just don't have a value on civilian life and, and that type of thing. So I think there's people who didn't even read into the story. They just hear the word Blackwater and they're like, yeah, these guys should be in jail. I've got friends from the contracting world that work for all kinds of different companies. And it's an ongoing joke. Whenever somebody would get in trouble, they would just say they were Blackwater. And I've had lots mm -hmm. of my friends confirm this or like, yeah, that's what we would do, you know, cause we knew it'd get out, get us out of, you know, trouble real quick. Um, you know, I, I went through the vetting course. Um, I worked with guys day in, day out, you know, and you're going to have your, uh, your, your 3%, you know, they're turds. Um, but the guys that I worked with, I mean, they were solid every day. These guys were patriots. Um, I loved my time at Blackwater. I was treated very well there. I made lifelong friends. We go to our annual reunions every year. Um, and in the end, you know, uh, Raven 2-3, you know, as I stated last week, we were the ones uh, getting that team out when we came under fire. Those guys pushed out. They were coming to us. You know, they didn't know what we were in. They just knew we were taking fire. And that's when they pushed out. Um, so, yeah, no, I've got nothing bad to say. One thing I wanted to clarify, uh, I was looking at the episode from last week, you know, and Chris was talking about, you know, shooting in the gray. Some of the stuff's very gray areas and everything else. Um, I don't have any doubts in my mind that any shots that were fired that day uh, were taken in good faith. There was no gray area or anything else and just or people just randomly shooting and stuff. Um, you know, like I said, if you ever sit down and talk with these guys, um, amazing, amazing group of guys that, you know, lost seven years of their lives uh, in prison. And, uh, you know, even when the pardon was coming down, we knew it was coming down. I've stayed very close with it. And um, I got word that afternoon from a friend of mine. He says, hey, don't don't push it out on social media yet. Uh, of course, I didn't. But I'm start getting on the phone. I'm like, hey. It's going down. It's going down. You know, next thing you know, we're all got our Facebooks open, waiting for Facebook lives to start popping up and got a drink in hand. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in our community. You know, I'm watching Paul Slough knock on his door. His wife is with her family and they're videotaping his little girl that's only seen him in prison answering the door. And now her dad's standing in front of her, just like blown away, you know, and everybody's just crying. I saw Dustin come in, um, him and his wife, uh, uh, ended up getting divorced, but he came to that house that night and he was pulling the sheets off of his son, turning on lights. Um, cause I didn't realize, you know, uh, when you get a pardon, it happens very fast. Like within 30 minutes, you're out of prison. They're like, grab what you want to grab because they don't want to pay for you anymore. So it's like, make your phone call and we're going to walk you out the gate. Um, so it was really good to, uh, see everybody. Um, I got to hang out with Dustin right off the bat uh, for a friend's memorial. He flew in. Uh, we, a bunch of us were all meeting to, uh, I think it was Charlotte. And uh, no, uh, we flew into Savannah to get our connecting flights. And, uh, or maybe it was Charlotte, I don't know. But we were kicking a connecting flight to fly into Savannah. And I was with a few other friends. 
we were all up in business class. And uh, so I went to the, the ticket counter. I said, hey, I got a buddy. I need to get him upgraded, you know. And uh, I said, you got any seats available? She's like, yeah, I got seats. I was like, all right, cool. How much? Here's my card. And uh, she says, well, I need to see his ID. So I'm calling him up. He's I'm like, where are you at? And he's like, I'm making my way from my gate to get over there and stuff. I was like, I was like you got an ID? He's like, yeah, I got my prison ID. <laughs> and uh, so he literally threw his prison ID. He says, Federal Bureau of Prisons, inmate number, da, 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 on the counter. And the lady's like, <laughs> looking at it, looks good. So like, well, this works. And, uh, got <laughs> Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons people may have had taken issue too was that Trump pardoned so many guys all in one in, in a short period of time. I mentioned Gary Brugman, but then there was also, of course, Eddie Gallagher, and there was Major Matt Goldstein, and then there was the other uh uh uh, uh Quint uh what's his name again? You know what I'm talking about, right? The there was a yeah. third military guy. Uh it'll come to me if if I look it up. Quint something, I believe. But anyway, I mean, some of these guys, you could take issue with some of the things they did for sure. And we've spoken about it on the show. So I feel like a lot of people felt like it was a lot done at one time. And it was easy to point at one guy and go, why was this guy pardoned? All right. Is he just pardoning anyone for any type of war crime? Because in the case of Matt Goldstein, like I remember that one, for instance, this is a guy who did something illegal. I know overseas got away with it, then went on Fox News and spoke about it. And he actually would have never went to prison. And it's like, you're kind of an idiot for going on Fox News during an interview and revealing something that you did that you got away with. And then they kind of have to put you in prison after you just admitted to it in a news interview. Um, So, I mean, it was like a lot of things that happened at once. So it was easy to point to instances like that and say, all right, Trump is just pardoning everyone at this point. Well, you know, it's uh, it's really unfortunate, you know, uh, War, war zones, it kind of gets glamorized uh, in today's day and age, especially, I mean, 20 years of the global war on terrorism, uh, the movies that have came out, and, you know, such. Lawrence, by the way, is the guy I'm, I'm thinking of, sorry. Okay. Um, but, you know, what people don't realize is, is a lot of bad things happen in those environments, you know, and it's unfortunate, but that's just, that's war. Um, there's collateral damage and stuff. Um, you know, I'm not a, big believer in having the, uh, the press and everybody else. And then with social media, I mean, think about the, uh, those Marine scout snipers that were, uh, taking a leak on the, uh, Taliban after they killed them yeah, I remember and they that. videoed it. And yeah, you know, the only thing they're really guilty of is, is, uh, posting that the shit up on uh, social yeah. media, you know, being Marines, you know, and that's what it was. It was Marines being Marines and they did something stupid, you know, and that's where it should have died down at, you know, maybe a, a small punishment or something, you know, um, but you don't need to take their careers away from them and stuff for being Marines, you know, and being judged by one split second in their life, you know, in an environment like that, you know, anytime I've been to any type of, uh, uh, conflict ambush or whatever you want to call it, you know, the first thing I want to do is take a leak afterwards when we're free and clear. <laughs> um, so I can relate to, you know, what they were probably thinking, you know, it's probably fuck these guys, man. They were trying to kill us, you know? Um, so yeah. I think people would ask, though, I think people do wonder, like, where is the line drawn, though? Because you obviously look, as you said, these are split second decisions. And I think government officials have no idea what it's like to be in these environments that you've been in. At the same time, there obviously has to be a line. It can't be anything goes because then, as people say, like, we become the terrorists. We become the ideology that we're fighting against the, the people that are beheading people and putting people in cages and burning them alive. There's obviously things that that are war crimes. 
Well, you talk about, you know, drawing a line. Mine was always, you know, um, if I see people getting lined up and getting popped in the back of the heads or women and children, rape or anything like that, you know, that's obviously right there. That's wrong. You know, and it shouldn't happen. Um, the biggest problem you have, though, is um, me writing a witness statement on somebody else taking a shot. Um, and I'll tell you, I had that happen to me one time. But at my angle, I couldn't see what his threat was. And if I don't have the same sight picture of you, how can I judge you as to what you presumed as a threat? You know, um, sure. so, you know, you have to go off good faith, off actions and stuff. Um, I'll tell you early on, I did have one guy. Um, we were on a team together and he walked out and he says, man, I hope I get to kill somebody today. And we just looked at him like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? That's not a natural thing that you're craving, you know, that you want to go out and kill somebody. I said, you need to go back in the Marine Corps and this time get you an 03 combat MOS and uh, deploy with the Marines. Man, maybe they'll send you to Fallujah or something. I said, but that's not what we do. You know, um, even with Blackwater and stuff. Um, sure, there were a lot of shoots, but a lot of these shoots that get reported, they were into engine blocks of cars because people are stupid. And we want them to keep their cars back, but it's not like we just randomly, you know, go and shoot people just for the hell of it. Um, so I believe, you know, out of all the people that I've worked with, you know, everybody acted in good faith. You know, guys are coming from law enforcement backgrounds, from military backgrounds, you know, everybody's a patriot, you know, and that was what we did. We did protection. It wasn't a direct action uh, element. Um, we went in and, and when we could, you know, break contact, we would, even as the TST teams, um, we had a little bird go down in uh, January 23rd, 2007. We lost five guys. We had to go out looking for that bird and recover the bodies. And uh, we got in a really intense firefight. And uh, we had big army with us. They're shooting over us. We're shooting over them. Um, but when we were able to break contact, we got all our team members loaded up. We broke contact. And we did him out out of there and left the army to do what they do. Yeah. Um, so we weren't looking for fights. you know. But... Um, we damn sure weren't going to, you know, back down. If you, you're shooting at us, we're going to shoot back at you. But yeah. we had a completely different mission. Absolutely. Have, have you still, and I don't know if you, you were close to him while you were working for Blackwater, but have you had any contact with Eric Prince uh, since leaving Blackwater? Well, I saw him uh, the last weekend of uh, April at our uh, annual alumni reunion. Um, I did see him in Baghdad. Um when they finally lost the contract, uh, Eric Prince came in and uh, explained to everybody, hey, we've got jobs in different places for you. Um, one of them was you can go back to Afghanistan. Um, that really wasn't an option for me, as I explained last week. Um, so I had to stay with the, the oncoming company that was taking over the contract. But he, he made it clear. He says, There's, I would have no issues flying a 747 into BIOP. And uh, loading all of y'all up on it. And I guarantee it will stop at some uh, nice warm Caribbean spot on the way home for drinks. So I, I got a chance to interview him years ago uh, when he put his book out, when he put his autobiography out. And uh, very interesting guy. It was a great conversation. Um, but that was a little bit prior to at least uh, coming to light, like his involvement in the China stuff. I, do you have any like feeling on that and his involvement in China? Because I don't is he in China right now? Is that where he currently lives? No, no, no. Um, so this is and this is what I understand. He is like the uh, CEO of a company called uh, uh, Frontier Resources Group. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, I believe it's based out of uh, Abu Dhabi. 
and I think he has a home in Abu Dhabi. And what they're doing is they're running uh, logistics, logistical services in Africa in support of China. But like I said, I don't know this for sure. <laughs> I'd hate to say something in it. Yeah. What, why did you say that and everything else? That was, this is my understanding. Um, but I know he's, he's got his hands in a, a few different things. Some of the stuff he talked about at the uh, alumni reunion, um, uh, more tech style. Um, but the thing about uh, Eric Prince is, you know, he was, he was villainized from the get-go. And, uh, you know, our own government started turning against him, you know. Um, he's a billionaire entrepreneur and, uh, that's what entrepreneurs do. They make money. So if you don't want to give me any government contracts and I can go work in the UAE or set up a company in the UAE and, and do some stuff in Africa, you know, like I said, he's not like he's, uh, running mercenaries or anything else. Um, there was a thing where the, uh, called the pineapple express, you know, when yeah. the, uh, Afghanistan was going on when they were pulling everybody out. Um, I was involved in some emails on that, helping getting people out, uh, former Terps. You know, I was working with Sarah Adams, in fact, on it. And uh, I can tell you that uh, Eric Prince was involved with that. And it was in a helping role, you know, to where he wasn't looking to make a bunch of money off of it and stuff. He genuinely cared. Yeah, Sarah Adams mentioned that on the show of Sarah Adams getting it. Yeah, interpreters out of Afghanistan. She she spoke about with us, and um, it's interesting though because look, as a complete outsider, like I said, got to interview the guy. Don't personally know him, but you do read these things online of what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims in China and what's going on with frontier groups uh, in, or frontier. What is it called? Frontier. You just said frontier it. Earlier, resources so. group. Yeah, frontier resource front, frontier resource group. Like, what's their involvement? And just like anybody else, all I know is what I read. I just I see what's out there. I see what's being said from all different sources. So, like, I like to be able to speak with people like you and see is there any validity to some of the stuff that I'm reading? Because quite honestly, some of the stuff you read about Eric Prince is pretty crazy. And and you also, as you mentioned before, I mean, the guy is a billionaire. The guy's been highly successful at Blackwater. And you do think of those guys as, all right, is Eric Prince the type of guy who's going to do anything for money? Why is he working with China? And I just I, I just have the same questions as anybody else, I would think. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I don't know for sure what's going on with that. Um, and I don't think he's working with the, the Chinese government. I think he's working with uh, different companies. Um, now, you can say that's all the same, but, you know, it's not like he's just directly, you know, involved in the government there. So, yeah. Like I yeah. said, it's it's pure speculation. I can only go off what I've read. Uh, exactly. Mostly same here. guys are looking into it because guys are like, hey, is there, is there work to be had? You know, and there's an ongoing joke about um, Eric Prince getting the band back together is what we call it. Hey, mm -hmm. we get the band back together. I went to a reunion a couple of years ago and they were joking around, you know, especially once the alcohol got flowing. I just laugh. I'm like, are you kidding me? What are we, uh, the Rolling Stones or something, dude? Because we're, we should all be retired. I was like, I'm broken. My back is broken. My knees are shot. I was like, you know, I, I would love to get back into that stuff, but I just can't physically, you know, I'd be a liability. And as with most of the guys I know. <laughs> I, I could imagine, but there's some guys, I mean, we've had some of them on here that quite honestly don't ever want to hang it up. There are a ton of guys going overseas on contracts and they're older than you and they're still out there doing it. 
Yep. Yeah, no, I, I've seen it. I know a guy uh, from uh, DS Class 1, Blackwater, whips contract. and He's still out there to this day. He's a retired gunnery sergeant. We call him Gunny. And uh, he's went through a couple different roles. I think he's more of an admin and logistics role, but he's still there. And uh, back in the day, he said, no, he says, I won't be here until they close the doors. And uh, we all just laughed. And sure enough, you know, he's been there since 2004, nonstop. Yeah, as far as I know, and, and I haven't spoken to him in a while. He's on one of the earlier episodes with us. I don't know if you know Dale Comstock. I, I think he's still over there. Uh, from what I understand, Dale lives in uh, Indonesia. Yes, I believe so. But isn't he still yeah. he's still contracting, I believe? He does. I mean... Uh, he's he does everything you know the american badass you know yep. um I've, I've never met him uh personally i, I follow him uh i've got some friends uh that know him that uh, served in uh, i believe it was he was in third group uh for a little while uh and they speak very highly of him um i have never met the guy um but i'm always entertained by his stories i've watched uh, quite a few interviews of him uh podcasts you know and the things that he's done i mean wow <laughs> Yeah, I, I have met him a number of times and, and he is a great guy. And I think he is the same person you see on social media. That That's him. Hope that you're enjoying this episode with Eric Parker. I know a lot of you loved part one with Eric Parker. So we had to do a part two, maybe even a part three in the future, because I am going to guess that you were enjoying these stories as much as I did. This guy has plenty of stories and I think he has plenty more. But uh, before we continue... Fort Scott Munitions, uh, you might even see them now. There, there's going to be tins on the site for the um, for the Battleline Tactical tins that they're doing. They did a 14th hour tin. See, this is why we need to shoot in HD, because this is not looking very HD. We're going to soon. Trust me, they look great. You'll see them on the website, fsm.com. Fort Scott Munitions, a lot of you are listening as well, I should say. So uh, if you're just listening, head over to the YouTube and you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately-owned businesses in every state, and you can get it right there on the website, fsm.com. It's as simple as that, fsm.com. If you want to get it in person, you just click on the dealer locator on the site, type in your zip code, you're going to find something by you. Like even by me, um, where you know my main place is on Long Island, I'm always between here, Long Island and here in Connecticut, uh, there's South Shore Sportsman and Merrick. I'm sure that even, even in the least gun-friendly state of Connecticut, I could find somewhere around here. So just check it out. Um, use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. You guys have shot with other stuff. Shoot with the best. I mean, this is really what you're going to want to stop the threat, as you see in that video if you're watching on YouTube that Zach puts up here. 
um, yeah, you want the best ammunition out there in case of an emergency to stop the threat. So Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. FSM.com, promo code Battleline for 15% off. Now you're shooting with the best ammo, but what about the best night vision? And you can actually find Photonis products at Fort Scott uh, at FSM.com and your local night vision dealer. I got to tell you all about them. Chris has a night vision course coming up very soon with Phil Otto. If you go to ChrisTantoPeranto.com, you'll see it right there under the Battleline Tactical uh, tab. And I'll be out there in uh, in Fort Scott, Kansas, and we're going to do a show with Phil Otto from Photonis, uh, another guy who has a tremendous history uh, with Chris and who has done a lot in terms of his own military background and contracting background. So, uh, yeah, you can check out the first episode we did with Phil. But now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonis Defense which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonis Defense Solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonis Defense Viper Binocular to help them become master of darkness. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonis Defense Viper Binocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the Echo Intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading auto-gating, ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. So uh, check them out, photonisdefense.com. This is the best night vision out there. And like I said, we have a course coming up, Chris does, with Phil Otto at ChrisTantoPeranto.com. Can't wait to also see those guys at SHOT Show. They're going to be doing demonstrations there. If any of you are going to be coming out to SHOT Show in January, um, but check them out. Border Patrol is using them, uh, reaching out to me. And this is really the best stuff out there. So PhotonisDefense.com for more information, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, Defense dot com or look for photonis defense product options from your night vision dealer we love what they do uh with that let's get right back to eric parker so looking at your biography and some stuff that we didn't get into like the stuff that you did before leaving government altogether and going into the private sector when i just read what you've done I, I'm sure other people have wondered did you work directly with hillary clinton like did you did you meet hillary clinton <laughs> So that was a uh, when I was uh, with Blackwater, um, I got back from Afghanistan and uh, they asked me, they gave me my choice of assignments. And I said, I'd like to work on the ambassador's detail. I said, because, you know, I was my whole thing was I didn't want to get in any more shoots, you know, and uh, Afghanistan seemed great. I was AIC. I was putting that one situation the one time. And it's like I said, if it's going to happen. It's going to happen around me. Um. So whenever a congressional delegation would come in, we had two, two teams for the ambassador. Uh, whoever the off team was, we'd work day on, day off. Whoever the off team was would take care of the high-level visit. So um, it was going to be a Secretary of State move, um, the first ever red zone move for Secretary of State, which is ridiculous because, you know, she's like fifth in line for the presidency. She can command Black Hawk helicopters, you know, by clicking her fingers. But no, she didn't want to mess up her hair. 
for the photo ops to get on the helicopters. So we had to get 18 vehicles together. Um, I was running it, had to do all the planning. I worked with a, uh, uh, a DS agent that came in on the advance. Um, but we put together all the planning, uh, the training, and then, then we executed it. And um, yeah, it was quite something, you know, because we had, she had visited before back in the day when she was a senator and uh, she was not a nice person at all, at all. And I feel like I've heard this from so many guys who, who have worked <laughs> in, yeah, in security. So, uh, you know, we got a different side of her and the event was wrapping up that night and they wanted to do a group photo with all the, uh, the Marines, uh, Marine security guards. So they got them all together and did a group photo with them. And then uh, for some reason, she wanted to get a picture with us, her security team. So I'm standing right next to her in this picture. And she's like, come on, guys, get closer. And at one point, do you, you have this picture? Like, I have to see. I have to see this are picture. You? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got it. I've got it. I'll nice. send it to you. Um, and I'm looking at her and I'm like, who are you? And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, being the top diplomat, you know, maybe she's changed um, from what I understand. No, she hasn't. But um, great for the cameras. It's, it's funny working with uh, different politicians and things like that, uh, especially when you are in a car with them and you get to listen to them talk. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm of the uh, belief that they're all corrupt. You know, maybe when they start out at the uh, local offices, they're uh, they have great intent. But once they get to Washington, you know, they all go to the same dinner parties at night. You know, they just play a different role when that camera's turned on. Yeah, I mean, I see up to this day, and I won't name names. I don't know what's out there publicly. I mean, you still are doing security for high-level politicians. Uh, yeah, yesterday I uh, had the opportunity to uh, work with uh, Senator Marco Rubio. Yeah, and I mean, this, so this is still a part of your life in private security. I mean, what, what's it like? Well, not really uh, so much that. That was a kind of a fluke because of the event that he was putting on. Um, mainly... I work with ultra high net worth families is what I prefer. I don't like working celebrities that are a pain in the ass. Um, you know, like I said before, we do a lot of workplace uh, violence, you know, once threats have been made, you know, we, uh, we go in and put somebody in. Um, but you know, the, the bread and butter, what I like is actually doing protection. Um, and I don't do it often myself. You know, yesterday it was because of who it was. And um, since I have a school, that I'm, I'm training people, running courses and stuff. It's good for me to jump in every once in a while um, to make sure I, if you say I still got it or something. Um, but it's it's good to start, you know, looking around and, and realizing what's going on and uh, be able to pass that on to my students and say, look, yeah. I, I'm still relevant. I still do this. <laughs> I, I'll say this, man. When I was getting pictures of you for the last episode, we got that great picture of you with the gun uh, that we used on the YouTube. <laughs> oh it's a great, God. great photo. But I, I'll be honest, I could not help but notice. I mean, some of the high-level security you do are extremely hot chicks. <laughs> <laughs> those are not – so those are uh... – that's got an ongoing joke. So that's not real details. That's uh, for my training program. So when we run our courses, we run these uh, simulated mock details. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll invite uh, bartenders. I go to certain places, you know, like a cigar lounge I go to. And, um, you know, if you did a tour of my office, about 2,600 square feet um, from the classrooms and everything else. But I've got just posters, pictures that are blown up into posters. And um, 
yeah, there's a, a lot of attractive females in there. Um, I, I like that because when you're running, because you're, uh, detail, you're a straight man, that's why you like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it's the guys, the guys should be paying attention to what's going on outside. Yeah, they, yeah. There's no threat inside. So when I catch them looking in to check out the hot girl that's getting out of limo, I'm like, gotcha. You know, um, there, there's a lot of different things that I do. I try to be as offensive as possible to my students. Um, I will say things that, uh, it works out really well with my dark humor, you know, but I'll, I'll shock people. It's a total shock and awe. And, um, and I will say things, you know, and I, like I tell my students, I'm going to try to offend you in some shape or manner because I'm watching your face and how you react. And uh, you can say you're not reacting, but that micro expression is going to come out. And if I put you with a client that has different beliefs than you and you make a face, it's not going to work out really well. That does make sense because Pete, you would think, yeah, people are going to clash with people of different religions and and the same thing you said, attractive females. And I'm sure, I mean, I've been to South Florida. It's like part of that South Florida life. You could find a lot of that girls with that aesthetic that you've used in those photos <laughs> on Facebook. I'm lucky. I'm I'm old now, and uh, and I'm taken, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I'm sure it still makes the job enjoyable, just scouting out it's, these women to use. Well, like I said, they're all friends of mine. So I, I frequent the same place. Just, so it's, uh, you know, just like, hey, we got a rock star lunch going tomorrow. You want to do it? And they're like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so it's nice That's to have hard. a variety to choose from. So I, I wanted to ask you about this other thing. After we did the interview, you sent me the actual article of what happened of uh, something more recent where you said that you just find yourself <laughs> in these predicaments. So the May of this year, you were on a flight from Dallas to Tampa and uh, I'll let you tell just exactly what went down. So I was actually uh, in Dallas for the uh, Blackwater reunion. So um, after a very uh, long weekend of drinking, you know, um, and we had this penthouse. So all the after parties were coming through um, all hours of the night. So there wasn't a lot of sleep getting done, a lot of alcohol ingested. Um, so when I got to the airport, you know, luckily I was just sitting there drinking some ginger ale, just waiting for my flight. And, uh, I just couldn't wait to get in my business class seat, recruit the seat back and get some sleep. Um, so I loaded up on my flight. I was um, sitting on a uh, row four and it happened to be a window seat. And, uh, once we got to, they announced it, we're at 36,000 feet and they just brought us our drinks. So I had a ginger ale sitting in front of me and my phone was about to die, but I just opened up my laptop. And uh, some guy stumbles into first class and I notice he's got a hoodie on and he had his hands cupped almost like he was carrying something and he was kind of bumping into seats and stuff. So I'm sitting there watching and uh, and then I look at the flight attendant who's in front of the cockpit door and I'm watching her facial expressions. And I could see her face tensing up, tensing up and she started to put her hand out like this and, and says, sir, sir, sir. And then uh, a lady in row one just starts screaming like bloody murder, like she's, you know, in a, a movie. And uh, so I hopped over the seat over the guy that was sitting in the aisle and I came up behind the guy. I didn't know what he had in his hands and he didn't see me coming. So I peeked over his shoulder and uh, what he had done is he had his junk out. He was exposing himself, pissing all over the lady. So um, I brachial stunned him in the neck. Wow! And when I came around, I busted his lip and put him in a chokehold, flipped him down and uh, got him in the aisle and just was choking him out and got him pinned. 
And then I thought for a second, I'm like, holy shit, this just happened. Am I the one that screwed up here? Am I going to be in handcuffs? And I looked back at the flight attendant and she's like, what do you need from me? I was like, notify the pilot what's going on. He's probably going to want to divert the flight. And uh, sure enough, she did. And he she comes back and um, I've got the guy down and uh, she said, we're going to New Orleans. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a bad place to go to jail, buddy. Shouldn't have done that. And uh, she's like, we're going to clear out row eight. Would you mind sitting with him? And I'm like, well, not, not particularly. I'm like, I'm kind of enjoying myself in business class where I paid for to be. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. I said, but do you have any zip ties? She's like, we've got uh, duct tape. I said, okay, you'll get the duct tape. Some guy came in from coach. He's like, hey, I've got zip ties. I was like, go get them. So he comes back with these little teeny tiny skinny zip ties that probably would have sliced his wrists all up if not broke. I was like, yeah, that's not going to work, buddy. Um, so she brought me the duct tape. I put his arms behind his back, uh, crisscrossed him like this and just started taping him. And I taped him really good. Uh, some guy got up and helped me grab an arm and we got him up, got him seated in the seat and buckled up. And then another guy told me that he was sitting there beforehand and he didn't mind sitting with the guys. Perfect. I went back to my first class seat. Um, but it was funny. We landed in New Orleans and there was like six or seven police officers come on board. And, uh, you know, I heard one of them saying, I hope you get to taste this guy, you know, and I'm like, wow, that'd be fun to watch <laughs> on a plane. And uh, they end up taking him off. And I could see the police talking, the police officers talking to the flight attendants and stuff, what's going on. And uh, she's pointing back at my row. Well, the guy sitting next to me was a big guy. You know, I'm not a big guy. You know, I'm, I'm relatively you know small in comparison to the guys I hang out with usually. And uh, so the cop goes up to him and starts talking to him. And he's like, looking at the cop. He's like, no, dude, it's him. It's him. And he looks at me. Now, you got to understand what I was wearing. I'm wearing a, uh, a T-shirt. It's got a picture of Afghanistan on it. It says, all for what? with a question mark. I'm wearing jeans with a hole in the knee and I'm wearing flip-flops and my toenails are painted black. <laughs> What's so the reason for that? Looking, why why uh, black to toenails? You know, I've, I've lost a lot of friends uh, to suicide, you know, from coming back. And so every morning, you know, when I get in that shower, you know, when I'm washing myself, I look down and I see my black toenails and it's just a constant reminder of uh, uh, guys that I've lost personally known and uh and the daily fight that a lot of people are dealing with gotcha i i'll be honest that was like a darker answer than i expect i'm like black toenails it just it's it seems so silly but you know yeah I'm like are you, are you hanging out with like a hot goth chick or something but no that and, and that is that is a serious issue obviously um all right so back to what you're doing getting off the plane so he he pulls me off the plane asked me what happened and stuff. And I told him, well, by this time, the cleaning people had got on. So I couldn't get back to my seat. So I'm hanging out before camp cabin. The captain comes out, thanks me. And the flight attendant was, uh, you know, thanking me. She's like, I just, I was calling for help and nobody would come. She's like, literally nobody was getting up. And the other flight attendants weren't coming. She's like, thankfully you jumped up. And, uh, and I told her, I said, well, I said, I caught out of the corner of my, eye. I saw one guy unbuckling. Um, I said, I'm sure somebody would have done something, you know, but I, as I stated, oh. I said, you know, this, this has played out in my head after nine 11, and I'm sure it's played out in a number of guys that I've worked with over the years. And I have no doubts the kind of people that I hang out with, everybody would have jumped on this guy. Um, so, I mean, that's just, you know, I made a comment last, uh, uh, last episode is, uh, 
you can't win a fight unless you get in a fight. And I don't know what this guy's intentions were or anything else. You know, um, I since know now what the problem was, but you know, like I said, scenario plays out. You've got to, you can't hesitate. You've got to get in there and get in that fight. It's amazing that you did that though, because I, I do think it's very possible that if you weren't on that flight, it could have been way worse. And I mean, it doesn't seem like the guy was violent, but, uh, he could have been. It could have been the same scenario with a guy who was violent in a terrorist attack. And yeah, you need to have people like you on a flight to to do what you're trained to do. Yeah, like I said, I, I know a lot of guys that would have done it and enjoyed it. And in fact, I had a lot of guys uh, hit me up afterwards. They're like, "Man, you know how many flights I'm on? Nothing like that's happened." And I've got a buddy of mine. Uh, he's an air marshal. Um, he told me the same thing. He says, "You know how many air marshals that have done a whole career without any incidents going on?" And uh, there you are, shit magnet. Boom. <laughs> I said, well, I can check that one off at the bucket list. You know, but it, it's the same thing. You know, I was in Arizona running my course a couple of years ago, and I was telling the class about different things that have happened. It seems like I'm a shit magnet. And uh, I went outside, put the class on break. I went outside back at the hotel to smoke a cigarette by the pool. And I hear some girl screaming, you know, help, help, help. And another guy, he's trying to kidnap her. And I run out front in the lobby. Sure enough, these guys are in a fight and they're, one's trying to pull a girl into a car and stuff. So I jump in them and these are some big boys and they were going at it. And the girls there. So I just ran into my classroom and I said, I said, everybody out here now, you know, so we all got out there. I told the front desk, called the police, there's kidnapping going on. Well, they didn't know what to think because I was doing the training. So they were wondering if it was part of my a drill or something. I'm like, no, call the police. Next thing you know, Glendale Police Department. I mean, just there must have been like 25 police cars there. And uh, I got a subpoena later on and had to contact them. And uh, there was meth in the car. There was guns in the car. Wow. All this different stuff. But when I got back to the classroom, somebody looked over at me and they're like, man, you are a shit magnet. You weren't kidding. So. I mean, I think this yeah. is why if people want to train with someone, whether it's firearms or martial arts or just even learning what special operations guys do, like it's important to train with people with the right expertise. I think there's people out there who, um, I mean, I've met, uh, you know, not to put anybody under the bus particularly, but like NRA instructors who are teaching guys, this is what you do if you have to kick down a door. And they're like these overweight guys who have never been in the military, have never been private contracting. And it's like, what do you know about that other than, you know, role-playing something? And, and I think that's why, like, it's important to train with guys like Chris, or if you're going to hire someone in private security, hire someone like yourself. Yeah. I, uh, I, I put together a woman's security course, female security course. And um, because I, you know, there's been over the years, you know, like come do this two hour ceremony and I'm going to teach you how to eye gouge and kick, kick a guy in the nuts and, you know, kick his knee out and stuff like that. Um, but it's not, practical you know anytime you're dealing with a, a male versus a female you know males built differently than a female they're going to overpower that female um now i joke i don't around, know if you're allowed to say like that ronda now, rousey well like ronda rousey <laughs> comes to the door she's going to throw yeah. me around like a rag doll you know she's a professional fighter yeah and that's why i tell these women you can't do a two-hour course and expect to be a ninja afterwards you know, if now if they're going in and they're training daily or weekly, you know, in a regiment, you know, and getting better and better, then yeah, absolutely. You know, a woman can defend herself against a man, but that's not usually the case. So my course is built on identifying danger areas. Um, pick up on the signs uh, beforehand. That way you're never put in that situation to where you have to, you know, defend yourself like that. You know, you just avoid the situation altogether. 
Um, and that's what a lot of we do in uh, protection and stuff. Um, I had to fly out to Malibu to train up a, a very well-known uh, movie director's um, security team out there. It was nice to put me up in a beach house and stuff, but I'm flying first class and I just traveled with a suit jacket on uh, with my jeans. So I didn't want to fold it up, but I have a, a logo uh, lapel pin that my students get when they graduate. And um, it's got a raven on it. It's got some Japanese writing on it. It's got some uh, Latin writing in it and stuff. Well, the flight attendant in first class was a, a small, petite Asian woman. And she probably came up eye level to my chest right about where my uh, lapel pin was. She's like, what is that? And I said, uh, I said, it's just a work thing. I really didn't feel like explaining it. So we're still waiting for them to you know, get the doors open and stuff. She's like, but what does it mean? I said, look, I have a school. I train bodyguards. And I hate that word, but that's the easiest way to translate to somebody who doesn't know what it is. She immediately goes in, oh, so you can teach me how to fight. And I'm like, no, that's not what we do. And uh, she's like, you're probably very aware of your surroundings. And I said, you mean the guy sitting in row 23 with a gun on his hip? And she's like, what? How did you know that? And I just said, hey, I pay attention to my surroundings, you know. But in reality, I'm sitting in row one. And the guy comes in, he's wearing a full-size firearm, he's printing, he leans in the cockpit to the pilots and says, hey, I'm your Leo for this flight. You know, so he's not an air marshal. He's just a, a Leo that's traveling under Leosa, HR 218. And uh, they're allowed to fly armed, but you have to notify the pilot. Um, but it blew her mind that I knew that that guy was on the plane. I was like, no, nah, it made me more comfortable I'm going to sleep. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And it is important to yeah, be aware of all that. And someone with your training is going to be way more aware than the average individual. That makes me, as you were saying that, that, that you were able to recognize that. It just uh, is crossing my mind. We, we I've talked about this on the show with Chris. What is your opinion on concealed carry versus open carry? Because we talk about that a lot of the show. Do you think, I mean, obviously there's the legalities, but do you think it makes sense to be open carrying? Like, shouldn't there be that element of surprise? I'm totally against uh, open carry. It just, to me, it makes you a target. You know, you're the first person that something goes down. You're the first person somebody's going to go after. Um, I would rather leave that element of surprise. Nobody needs to know that I'm carrying. You know, even these stores, you know, that'll say uh, uh, no firearms allowed. Well, you know what? If I'm carrying it properly, you're not going to know that I have it anyway. You know, I'm exactly. not be pulling it out playing with it or anything else. You know, um, you know we, we also run the concealed weapons license course for Florida. Uh, so guys can go through the course. And that's one of the first things I tell them is like, you know, just because you're carrying a gun now doesn't mean that uh, you should change how you act or you should go someplace that you wouldn't normally have gone or you won't pick a fight with somebody that you wouldn't normally pick a fight, you know, because, you know, you got the stand your ground law, you know, on your side. Um, so, no, I'm all about concealed carry. Um, I was looking at my put on a T-shirt today, just dressed down in some shorts and T-shirt, nice, relaxing day in the office. And I saw and, the shirt. Uh, it's like a take on ACDC with AR-15. Oh, yeah. AR-15. It says back in brass. The nice. The line shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm all about concealed carry. Um, you know, um, I like that element of surprise. Yeah, and. And I think for you, as someone who has the experience, who's able to do what you do, has proven that you can protect yourself, you don't need to walk around and tell people, I'm a badass, look at me. You know, it goes back to the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people, I don't, I don't like to talk to people that I don't know. Um, I'll sit at the bar and um, 
you know, if, unless you're a veteran or, you know, law enforcement, something like that, somebody I can relate to, um, then I might, you know, have a conversation or something. And I can usually pick out, you know, who belongs, who doesn't and stuff. But the person that's average, average person that wants to make conversation, I'm just like, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't really come here to make friends, um, reading articles on my phone or, you know, talking to the bartenders or something. Um, but you get some that are, that are like that, you know, um, want to brag immediately about, uh, who they are. And, um, and I've, I've seen it even from the, the guys that want to flirt with girls, even, you know, the bartenders and stuff. And, uh, I, I mean, down to it where a guy was bartenders came to me and said, Hey, this guy's really creeping us out. He's, he's taking pictures of us and then from behind and then sending it to us on Instagram. And I was like, okay, that's, that's weird. And, uh, he said, apparently he's a private investigator. I said, Oh, really? What's his name? They're like, we're going to get his card and look at it next time. So they got it to me. I looked him up online, you know, and he's, uh, he was a licensed private investigator, but he was saying he owned his own company. Well, you have to have an agency license. You know, I have my agency license. I have my private investigator's license. So I'm looking at him. So I deliberately moved to the other side of the bar, sat right next to him and got him talking. And he was like, oh yeah, he's talking about all these contacts and, you know, new uh, clients that he's getting ready to pick on. And, and he was telling the girls, y'all should come work for me. I'm going to pay you all this money and stuff. And that was funny when his card got declined, but then, uh, <laughs> You know, finally, I've got it open up on my phone. You know, I'm sitting there. I pull up the state website, look up this company name, and it says uh, application rejected, something or application incomplete. And then I uh, just spun around and told to him, and I said, I said, well, you know, you're in violation of Florida State Statutes 493 for advertising services in which you aren't licensed under the state for. And I said, because you don't have a licensed agency. And I pull it up and I show it to him on my phone, and he's just looking at me. And I said, and you need to stop taking pictures of the bartenders or you're going to have a conversation. Wow. And he starts taking back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, thank you for letting me know that. I, I thought it was good. And I'm like, no, it's not good. dude." And he left shortly afterwards. That's, that's a great story. You know, it reminds me of, so I, um, we've had Jim West on the show, James Smokey West, who's a special forces guy, a great guy that I've known for years, but I, I got to narrate his book. Uh, a mind for the fight and a lot of it is about bar fights he's gotten into over the years which, which there's no shortage of and there have been plenty of these guys that he catches that are completely stolen valor that exaggerate their resume and I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of that as well yeah yeah um a few years ago we were uh, hanging out at a bar after one of my classes and uh there was three of four of us uh one of my buddies who retired uh, special forces 25 years uh, the other two guys were Blackwater with me. One had been uh, in the infantry and in the army, and then he joined the Air Force and became a combat controller. And then uh, my other buddy, Aaron, uh, was Marine Scout Sniper. Well, Aaron's uh, skin is a lot darker than mine. You know, Eric's, Aaron's a black man. And it was funny. We had these guys walk in, look like Duck Dynasty, walking in with these <laughs> beards and stuff. And they immediately go to my buddy, Aaron, you know, and uh, they, it was obvious they were giving him a hard time about something. I'm like the firecracker out of the group, especially since I live here locally. These are my friends, you know, and why are you harassing my friends? So I immediately get around. Now, I always say Aaron's like the uh, perfect specimen of man um, because he has no fat on him whatsoever. You know, he commits to the gym. He's very intelligent, has a master's from Harvard uh, in Middle Eastern uh, studies and is fluent in Arabic, you know, in which he was teaching himself back in Iraq back in the day. Incredibly intelligent. Um, and he could snap these guys in two, but you know, 
the calm side of him. He's like, Oh really? You know, I, of course get in there. I'm like, can I fucking help you? And, uh, they're like, yeah, well, we were just asking him if he served. And I was like, okay, we're in a military bar. Yeah. He probably served. He's like, what about you? Do you serve? I said, yeah, I serve. And he pulls up his sleeve and he's got like the fallen soldier rifle, the boots and stuff on their memorial tattoo. And he says something like, uh, uh, Bosnia lost my whole team. I was the only survivor. And I just started laughing. I'm like, you need to get the fuck out of here, dude. And you can see his buddies circling around. Then you see my guys coming around and they realized they were, they should probably leave. And they did. Um, but yeah, talk, claiming Bosnia or Kosovo and lost all his team. I'm like, dude, that was an air war. I was like, I'm sure you weren't there or doing anything else. So it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. What, what is like the personality type of the guy who just makes up his service or exaggerate his, exaggerates their service? Because it's weird as someone who never served. Right. And I'm around a lot of military guys doing what I do. I mean, I do make it a point if people ask me. Yeah, I, I get to hang out with a lot of cool guys and, and I just kind of landed in this, but I have absolutely no military service and I'm fine with that. And I don't need to uh, give some explanation like some guys do. Well, I thought of serving, but then I did. It, what does it matter? I, I never got into that. I ended up going to college for radio. I ended up meeting people in the SEALs, meeting people like uh, Chris Peranto and doing what I do now. And I feel blessed to, but yeah, what is that personality type of the guy who just wants to be you or Chris so badly that they either served and were a chef or something, which is fine and have to say that they were the, you know, greatest badass and the number one shot and they had this many kills or the guy who's like me has no military background. And uh, yeah, says that they did something that they never did. And it's just, it's, it's like a psychosis of some sort. I, I don't get it. Even the guys that actually did serve and then they make up something else that they did. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, you know, and we have like, a number of guys you... like we have guys running for office right now. Right. Who, uh, you know, didn't do anything notable, but they served, but have changed their entire resume to be combat veterans. I mean, I'm, I'm here in Connecticut, the um, senator here who's still a senator, Richard Blumenthal. So, you know, put himself out there as a Vietnam veteran. And he was not. He was a veteran, but he was not a combat veteran. Yeah, I, I just don't get it, you know, in the end. And, you know, we all signed the same contract, you know, we all signed to do the right thing or, you know, the dotted line uh, to do whatever job we chose. Um, as I stated last episode, you know, I, I really didn't even have any idea what I was actually signing up for. Yeah. You know, I just knew that I wasn't going to be the video store manager. I thought I was, you know, um, and, you know, even like, uh, you know, we're working with the guys in Iraq, you know, I was, I was very fortunate. And like I said, you know, I've got the special operations identifier, but it's completely different than, you know, most of the, the door kickers and stuff, you know, the seals, Rangers and everything else, you know, we were basically a support for them. You know, we gave them a ride when they needed to go somewhere. Um, we got to go to cool places doing it. Um, but, you know, so it was one of those things, you know, and then next thing, you know, I'm a team leader in Baghdad and I've got guys that are retired SEALs working for me. Uh, retired Green Berets working for me. And I think you really have to truly stay humble and lean on people's experience to make yourself a better leader. Um, and that's what I did. You know, I would have guys that, uh, you know, had did 21 years here, and, um, you know, on the tactical side of things. I'm like, hey, what do you think? Ultimately, I'm the team leader. We're going to do what I want to do, but I'm definitely going to take advice from them. And, hey, how would you how do you think we should set this up and planning and everything else? Um, so I've never gotten it, you know, um, why people fake the funk is what I call it. Yeah. Um, 
we even had a guy, he showed up uh, 23 years old. He was a army MP and uh, one of my buddies, uh, uh, Scott Mongo Brackman, you know, he's a retired seal worked for me. Uh, biggest Korean you've ever met a uh, solid guy. And he's very famous on the seal teams. I haven't met one seal yet that doesn't know who he is. You know, he's since passed away uh, a few years back. Um, but he loved to instigate things. And we're sitting around drinking one night in Baghdad. He's looking at uh, buddy Chris. And he says, uh, so what did you do again? Where well, he looks at my buddy Jason first. And he says, you, you were a ranger, right? He's like, yes, Mongo, I was a ranger. And he says, you know, seals are better than rangers, right? And Jason's just like, yeah, I know. All hail Mongo. <laughs> so all Mongo want to do is argue with somebody. So he's like, well, I didn't work. So he looks at Chris. He's like, what did you do? He said, I was, I was a combat MP. He's like, whoa combat mp so you went to special training for that he's like no we go to our mp school but i was signed to a combat unit or not a garrison unit he's like so you didn't have any special training he's like no and he looks at me eric hey uh isn't so and so that works in supply weren't they an mp i was like yeah they were it's like well she's pretty hot can we bring her to the team and we trade them out and then next thing chris is like whoa whoa no no she was a garrison mp not a combat mp he's like but but you didn't have any special training for that. So why don't we just train her up and we'll just replace her with you. And uh, yeah, I, I miss Mongo. Mongo's a really good dude. And then, uh, unfortunately, Chris ended up uh, coming to his PTSD as well. Mm. Um, very tragic. Yeah. It's unfortunate how many guys are lost. And, and I mean, that is the great thing about doing this show though, that we get to talk about their stories. I mean, actually a guy that I really know through Chris right here is uh Drew Dwyer up there, who uh, that was that was on my birthday, came out to Benihana. Uh, but yeah, I that became like one of my best friends. And he's another guy that we lost and was a great friend of Chris, great friend of mine. Um, and you don't like meet guys like that later on in life. My best friends are all guys I went to like elementary school and high school with. And you just connect with certain people. So I think like the fact that we still get to talk about Drew Dwyer and talk about your friends on here, it's, it keeps the legacy alive. Um we, we didn't get a chance to, I didn't, well, I didn't get a chance to ask you this last time. Um, and Chris was really the one who was like, we got to get Eric Parker on any interesting stories with Chris that the audience might want to hear. No, um, I don't even remember which, which team Chris was on. I want to say he was like on team four. Um, he had gotten there before I did. Um, he might've even been in class one. Um, so I just, it was all just in passing with Chris and then, uh, you know, keep it up. Um, so I never really worked with him. I only worked with him on a special detail for Condoleezza Rice uh, that he was spearheading some stuff up and they were had us doing some different things. Uh, so that was pretty much my only reaction uh, or only uh, interaction with Chris, you know, just passing in the man camp, hanging out and stuff like that. So did you guys just connect as people? Because Chris is always very open that he's like, yeah, there's guys I worked with who I didn't like, have no interest in talking to them again. And then there's guys that you just connect with the same thing in just real life. I thought Chris was just a genuinely super nice guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's you why know, I connected with him. You know, he was just one of those, he was very down to earth. Um, it wasn't like I'm better than you. I was cooler than you or whatever, you know, and we had a few people like that in the beginning, you know, they, and they said, you know, I don't care what your past is, what you did when you were all super cool ninja guy. Um, it's what you bring to the table now. You know, let's work together. Let's get it done. It's a completely different mission. And uh, Chris was just one of those genuinely nice people. Um, we really connected back up after the Benghazi thing. Um, 
I had been in Iraq when it went down. Um, we had talked a little bit about that, especially when they came out uh, with the book. They were being interviewed and stuff. Um, at that point, I was living in Dubai, um, working a contract there. And um, we started going back and forth uh, just before the book came out and such. And yeah, we just kept in right. touch from there. That's when I met Chris, when the book came out, because I was working at Sirius XM. He came in. And it's funny, I've said on the show, I don't even remember who he was with. I don't remember if he was with Oz or if he was with Tig. But Chris stood out to me the same way as just a genuine guy. And the funny thing is, he says on the show all the time, like after the book came out in the following years, he went through a dark period. and He was angry and he didn't have this great relationship with his son. The thing for me is, I guess, just as someone who casually would see him every few months when he would come into New York. I didn't I, I didn't talk to him weekly like I do now. I honestly never saw that side of him. Chris was like a guy who was always in a good mood, always had a giant smile. And like, no matter how dark of things he was talking about that he went through, like was always able to keep it light. Like when we do this show, he's smiling throughout some of like the darkest moments of his life. And I feel like that's him. I never saw the guy who was angry or, you know, estranged from his wife or all that. So yeah, he often talks about like I went through a dark period, but I, I was never aware of any of that. He's just always been like, down to earth and and also just very uh he's able to uh, just get over situations very quickly too like early on in this podcast we had a show where something didn't record it wasn't through me we were going to a studio and and they forgot to record something they should have and I, like in my mind i'm flipping out but chris i think has been through so many like real true life or death situations that he's able to talk me off the ledge and be like this is really no big deal in the grand scheme of things and he'll laugh it off and that's Chris to me. I was uh, reading an article. It was an interview with uh, Norm Hooten uh, from a uh, former Delta Force guy. He was portrayed uh, in the movie Black Hawk Down. So he's relatively okay. famous from that. And then, of course, now he's got his own uh, cigar line and uh, bourbon line out. Cigars are really good, by the way. Nice, nice. Um, I'd love to get him on. We've had one the size for him. One of, one of the things he says in this in this interview, though, you know, I think I don't remember what the exact question was, you know, but how did you feel when you were out there and everything was going to hell in a handbasket stuff? You know, you've been through so much. And one of the things that really stuck with me is he said, uh, things can always be better, but they can always be worse. Just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and just interviewing the guys that I have, that really separates the true, the really great operators or contractors from the guys who shouldn't be there from interviews I've heard. There are the guys who freak out during those situations. They don't know what to do. And then there are the guys who, I think you said it on your on your last episode, like always revert back to your training and do what you have to do to, to you know, get over the situation and, and do, do what's necessary in order to complete the objective. Yeah, the biggest thing is you have to do something. You have to react. And, um, and you know, sometimes it only takes one person to step up to the plate and rally people. Um, and that's why I'm just, you know, going back to the Benghazi thing, I, I don't understand. You know, and I wasn't there, you know, but um, why they didn't get in the fight. You know, a lot of times if you get in that fight and the bad guys are coming, but they see their buddies getting picked off left and right around them. You know, your violence of action is going to, you know, make the difference in that. Um, I hate to Monday morning quarterback anything. Um, so I can only go off of what I know, what I've seen. And um, I, it's, it's just one of those sticklers with me. I don't get it. Um, makes no sense to me. Um, 
but there were some different changes, especially with the uh, State Department, you know, the high threat course. Um, they started recruiting a lot of former contractors to run the high threat course. Um, and then they had the, uh, the director, whoever that was, uh, in charge of the high threat program. Um, they did institute standards to where you had to pass them or you were not going to certain duty stations. Um, now, of course, that only works as long as that one guy in charge is there. Guys rotate in, rotate out. Um, I don't know anybody that's uh, working over there at the High Threat Center right now that I can think of. Um, most of my buddies have all moved on to uh, become entrepreneurs and open up their own businesses. Um, so I don't, I don't hear too much about it. But uh, from what I understand, the training got a lot better, more intense. I know they uh, built a new training facility and actually moved it from where it uh, originally was. Um, so that's good. Hopefully they are getting some good training out there um, because they are going to be put in different environments. Um, when I got to Pakistan, you know, I was the only American on my team protecting the consul general because you rely on those locals. And you have to build that rapport with them. And I would trust these guys with my life. You know, I'm still friends with a lot of them. Um, they'll get on my, uh, my Facebook, you know, I always wish them a you know, happy Eid Mubarak, you know, um, Ramadan Kareem. And uh, every year for Christmas, they will say Merry Christmas, not happy holidays or any of that other woke bullshit that everybody thinks of. You know, my Muslim friends will tell me Merry Christmas, but my, you know, everybody else is happy holidays because apparently it's not politically correct. Um, and even when I post a picture or something up and they'll tell me, they're like, you're such a handsome man. And all my <laughs> friends will be looking at me like, what the hell is that all about? I'm like, dude, he's from Pakistan. It's my buddy. That's leave it alone, dude. Leave it alone. So. <laughs> That's funny, man. Well, uh, the last thing I was going to ask about, unless there's anything else, so on the last episode, you were saying to me that with your two companies, you're still looking to hire guys. And I'm sure there's people listening who, who are interested in that. If they have the right background, your two companies, you're being the president of Red Variable Concepts, uh, red-variable.com, and then the founder of Select International Training Institute, which is the-select-few.com. Uh, any more info on that? Because, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to give you and your companies a free plug on the show because I'm sure there's thousands of people out there listening. And of those thousands, there's going to be someone who is in the area or could be in the area that has the background needed to do the job. Well, um, the biggest thing is my school. You know, when I came back here, I didn't see a lot going on in Florida um, with my background and experience. Um, I was able to build my curriculum. Um, based off of my domestic executive protection experience, my time doing uh, with Blackwater contracting, and then my time with diplomatic security service, and coming back and running a business, uh, running multiple details and stuff. That's how basically I put my uh, my curriculum together. Um, so we've had right around 300 students come through the course, um, which doesn't sound a lot on the uh, big spectrum of things. However, when you think about how big my classes are, which are usually from six to eight students, is what I keep it at. Um, we've had quite a bit come through. Um, we run an annual alumni reunion to where everybody comes back and I flip the bill on it. You know, I'll rent the venue space. You know, we'll get it catered. Um, so everybody's just got to pay for their, uh, their dinner, drinks, and then their uh, accommodations. Uh, but we'll bring in some guest speakers. Uh, I'll tell you the first year that we did it, um, I had Chris on FaceTime and we're passing the phone around as we're walking around 
And it was funny because Chris is making fun of people. You know, like one of actually was my mentor was sitting there and he was wearing this like this red velvety vest. And at the time, and Chris is like, holy shit, is that Hugh Hefner? It looks like freaking Hugh Hefner. <laughs> We've been drinking so much. We're just laughing and uh, passing the phone around. So it was it was a good time. And Chris has always been really, really good uh, to me as far as when I built Select International. Um, I had talked to him beforehand. Uh, I've got him listed as like uh, he was a part of my curriculum advisory guy uh, board uh, to where I sent them a syllabus, him and a couple others that are uh, well known. Uh, basically, so when I launched it on social media, I wouldn't get, uh, you know, blasted about who, who are you? What are you doing? Another school, I can say, well, do you know these people? Because they all just backed my, endorsed my school. That's very cool. So what, is there a certain background you need to have in advance to enroll in a school? No, no, it would take anybody. Um, the biggest thing is, and it's a misconception in the, uh, in the executive protection industry, everybody thinks, well, you got to have a prior law enforcement background or you got to have a prior military background. You got to be this underwater scuba ninja. Um, and that's not the case. You know, um, obviously, there's some character, uh, some traits that, you know, do mesh and, and transfer over and stuff. But even the, uh, the guy that's in good shape, that's been working uh, customer service, you know, for 10 years, you know, because that's a, that's a big portion of what we do. It's a customer service product. Um, we are supporting our clients. We are facilitators. They say they need to go here, get this done. We make it happen for them. We're just taking in all the security risks and measuring it all out um, to assess the situation and make it happen the best we can uh, to get them there as safely as possible. Where, where do you guys go on to work after uh, being after completing Select uh, International? Um really anywhere. I mean, they come from all over the U S um, a lot of people are already on details. Um, I've seen. There's a there's like some reality stars out there that are pretty big names and such. And, and I've seen feeds, I've seen uh, the group text and stuff with the clients moving. Um, there's, it, it blows people's minds when uh, we've, I'll have friends or something to come over. They don't really know the business or anything. And they'll find out this person works for that person. Like, yeah. And um, I'm not one to uh, get all starstruck. Um, to me, it's like, it is whatever. I mean, I, I, I suppose there's probably some, there's a few celebrities out there that I would actually uh, want to be on their detail just to meet them probably. Um, so a lot of guys go on to like celebrity details. Um, some work on Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 CEOs, tech guys, um, the Victoria's Secrets detail. Well, it's the limited brand. That was a big one um, uh, for people to get on because it's full-time detail. I have friends that uh, worked for Tiger Woods for years. Wow. Um, to me, but it's Tiger just Woods a pain is a guy in the who... Yeah, I was just gonna say Tiger Woods is a guy who I know has always had a like respect for the SEALs in particular. He's he's done training and stuff like that with the SEALs. So that's a cool one. Um yeah, I mean it's it's really endless. Uh to get on a full-time detail though, it's it's tough. And I always tell everybody when people ask me, they're like, What's the best advice you could give me breaking into this industry? And I, I tell them straight up, I'm like, get out now. Go get a degree in cybersecurity or something like that. Yeah, hmm. this is you're always chasing money. You're always uh, chasing contracts. You know, your contract wraps up. Now I got to find a new job. 
you know. So it's it's very tough, you know. But if you're good at what you do and you get your name known for all the right reasons, then it can be very lucrative. Um, but then again, there's some people that just aren't really cut out for it, and um, and it's not what everybody expects. You know, they see the movie, you know, uh, sure. the Bodyguard, you know, or Man on Fire or something like that. I think they're going to do all this cool stuff. It's really not. It's a lot of boring work unless you have an active client. If you have an active client, you're doing a lot of moves. It can make for long days. Um, but like I said, you get paid very well. You make a lot of money doing it. Do, do you ever become friends with any of these celebrities that you've gotten a chance to work with or, or any of these just high-level people? Is there a friendship that's formed after that for you ever? No. No. Because every time I've seen it, it never works out. You know, it's always bad. And I always tell everybody, you need to, I, I like using yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Because every time I say it, I'm listening to myself say it. And it's reminding me that they're the boss. When he's listening to this, it's reminding him that I work for him. I'm not his buddy. You know, I'm not his pal. He's not here to make my career. Um, we're there to support their career. Um, even yesterday, somebody offered, they're like, hey, do you and your security team want to take a picture with the senator? And I said, no. I said, I don't normally do that. I, I discourage it. I think it's ridiculous when people want to pose with their clients or if they want to take a picture of the client's vehicle um, or their boat or their plane. And it's like, why are you taking a picture with it? It's not your plane. It's not your yeah. boat. What are you trying to infer? <laughs> you know, um, you did get a candid shot, which either. is even cooler, though. Just a candid shot that someone took. Yeah, that's I have no that's issue cool. with that. I didn't take that picture. It was sent <laughs> to me afterwards by exactly. the, the establishment we were at. Um, and I, I think those are better, you know, and I tell that to my students, you know, if you can, if you're at an event or something, you know, do your research, you can probably look at what's been posted online. Um, I found a video of me yesterday, um, but it's, I'm standing on the side of the stage in a doorway and you can see me, like half of me in my body while Senator speaking and stuff, but you can't even tell it's me, you know, the video is going so fast and if you freeze it and zoom in, it's, it's blurry, um, you know, for me, it's it's great marketing material. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're not going to pose with the client. If we're posing with the client, for one, who's protecting them? Sure. The whole reason we're hired. Makes perfect sense to keep it professional. So um, once again, for Red Variable Concepts, your company, it's red-variable.com. Select International Training Institute is the-select-view.com. And then Bodie Black Toes on Instagram. And now I, I kind of know the origin of Black Toes. I don't, I don't know the, uh, I don't know Bodie, how, how that call sign happened. <laughs> Bodie's just a call sign I got when I was in Pakistan. Um, as I've said before, generally when you have a call sign, it's given to you because you screwed up. You know, like I'm sitting there, my one buddy's, uh, this call signs booger, you know, yeah. and it's uh, because a guy named Pedro, you know, is no longer with us now. They were on a, a mission. They were sitting in the cars and he's Pedro's looking in the mirror and uh, there's booger looking out the window and starts shoving his finger up his nose. And there's Pedro <laughs> just looks in the mirror and goes booger. And that's how he became booger. You know? So mine is uh, uh, basically when I was in uh, with diplomatic security service, uh, they wanted us all to have a call sign for the radios and such. Uh, instead of using names, um, I've got a Bodhisattva tattooed on my back, pretty big. Um, and then you got Bodhi from Point Break, the blonde haired, blue eyed uh, guy that hangs out on the beach. And I'm from Florida. So it just kind of fit. So you've always lived in Florida, other than when you're on a detail. Born and raised. Wow. Born and raised. 
I, I want to be there, man. Chris knows and the audience knows. I, I had a moment where I almost moved out there and then I kind of bailed and now I'm here in Connecticut. And I still think I want to be out there at some point. I do love the whole lifestyle there of just like the beach and gym and just like warm weather year round. I love everything about it. Like I love South Florida. I love Delray Beach and Boy, uh, Boca Raton, that whole area. I really, I really enjoy when I'm there. Tampa's a good spot because uh, the hurricanes seem to always miss us. They can't hook around and get to us. Um, if we do get hit, it's usually a category one and we like to throw parties in that. Uh, nice. Category two, we start paying a little bit more attention, but we're still pretty much uh, drinking. Uh, category <laughs> three, it's time to go out, get out. So yeah, I, I, uh, I did live Tampa. in, I did have a house in New Hampshire. Oh wow, okay, okay, but that's that's yeah, such a I'm... departure from yeah the warm weather of Florida. Like uh, right now, it's actually nice. It's going to be in the seventies over the weekend, believe it or not, which is insane. But yeah, once you get January, February here, and I I spoke about it during the uh, read for Ned how their products have really helped me out during the cold weather, man. I, I start to get tense in my neck. I hate it. I, I am a warm weather person year round. Yeah. It gets cold here. I have to put my uh, socks on with my flip flops. <laughs> yeah. So no, no interest in moving to New Hampshire again. Why were you there? Uh, when I started with Blackwater, my uh, wife at the time, um, I had a six month, my son was six months old and uh, she's from New England. So she wanted to be near her family. Um, and then uh, my first year of contracting, her dad uh, passed away. So she wanted to be near her uh, mom, help take care of her, uh, especially with my deployments. And uh, so I had to buy her a house there. And then, of course, uh, contracting, you know, things don't always work out like they, they do. So we got divorced and uh, I immediately came back to Florida to warm weather. I wasn't nice. happy there. Um, I was only there three months a year anyway. I could never ride. I could ride my Harley like one month a year. Exactly, out of the year yeah. um when it was cold all i would do is i'd go to the garage to get firewood stoke the fire or i would drive to the liquor store to get more booze and um at the end of the night after a long night of drinking i'd usually get on expedia and book me an airplane ticket to florida the next day and go away for a few days to florida Makes sense the cold to me, man. Yeah, yeah i think the one upside of new hampshire is it's like the one sort of well, more gun friendly state in this yeah. whole region very so you got that very, going for it yeah and it's beautiful i mean everything up there is so beautiful oh yeah i mean like vermont and that whole area is great where people always say they're like oh connecticut is beautiful not really where i am i'm, I'm in norwalk but uh, everything is close by family is on long island so i'm an hour away from everybody but uh you might see me in florida at some point i think i, I will eventually move there it's just got to be the right timing and um and also just the right job situation. I'm hoping this podcast continues to evolve and continues to do well. And we can continue to to keep this going and hopefully make more money keeping it going with some more revenue streams because we love doing it. And I love interviewing guys like you. Yeah, no, it's it's been fun being on here. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks as always, man. Thanks for doing this two weeks in a row and um, and doing it with just me. But uh, last week, I thought it was just such a great interview. I was like, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, especially with the Nisa Square stuff. So I'm glad that we got into that, got into the pardons. And I think it's stuff that people need to hear. And also your tributes with these stories of guys that you served with who are no longer here with us. Um, anything else before we go? No, not that I can uh, I think of. I mean, I've got stories for days. We go on for <laughs> a very long time, but... I don't know. I don't think you want to go there. <laughs> no, we're, we're good, man. Next time we'll, we'll do another one though. Next time with Chris uh, again, for sure. 
Thanks, Sounds good. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.